This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 4th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Innovation in medicine is stymied by a regulatory model rooted in the progressive era, where if a new way of doing things is not expressly permitted, it is very likely forbidden. Jeff Rose is a senior attorney at the Institute for Justice. At the Cato Institute last week, Rose discussed the legal impediments to the burgeoning field of telemedicine. One of the reasons why telemedicine presents such a challenge is because medicine is a vivid illustration of a peculiar reality in America, which is everything is forbidden unless it is expressly permitted. So this amazing, interesting, fresh innovation comes along, and all the medical boards say, well, we can't do that. We need to write 10,000 regulations to be able to do it. We have to completely subdue it with the regulatory process because, after all, this is America. If we don't have a telemedicine statute, you could be certain of one thing. You better not be doing it. And in part, that's because we have a 19th century or early 20th century regulatory model. We have 50 different states, each with their own regulatory boards, and that doesn't even take into account the fact that Americans can now talk to people all over the world. There are billions of people who would benefit from the expertise of well-educated Americans, and it's completely unclear whether or not they can get it. Now, the thing about telemedicine is that, at bottom, it's just two people talking to each other. That's it. People are talking to each other. One person wants some knowledge that another person has, and they want to share it. Now, at least by reputation, we live in a free country. So what does the First Amendment, uh, the Free Speech Clause in particular, have to say about that? And this turns out to be a really interesting and one of the most important unsettled questions in constitutional law. So let me begin by telling you a story. Imagine, uh, and this is a true story, imagine a group of Scottish missionaries go to rural Nigeria, and a married couple finds a stray cat, and they think, we're going to adopt the stray cat. But there are no veterinarians in rural Nigeria. There's no pet food in rural Nigeria. But one thing they have is a cell phone tower. And so these missionaries can get on the internet. Now, go all the way around the planet, and you'll find Ron Hines. He is a retired, physically disabled, Texas-licensed veterinarian. He has a PhD in biology. Um, He spent his career working um, with exotic animals at a research facility uh, here in Maryland. He worked at SeaWorld. He was in private practice. Um, He's just an amazing veterinarian who, after he retired, because his disabilities made it impossible for him to continue to work, he still wanted to be able to help animals. So one day, he and the missionaries in rural Nigeria start writing emails to each other about what to do about the cat. How should we feed the cat? How can we make sure that this cat stays healthy? It was a stray cat. What are the things we should be looking out for? So Ron and the the missionaries are are exchanging emails. And Ron starts doing this with some other people too, mostly for free, Um, although occasionally he would charge people a flat fee of a couple of bucks um, just to sort of help him cover the cost of keeping his website going. He never made any, any money doing it. Um, So what has just transpired? A disabled 70-year-old man in Texas writes an email to a Scottish missionary about a cat in Nigeria. That's a crime. And Ron Hines had his veterinary license suspended. He was fined. He was forced to retake a portion of the veterinary licensing exam. And he had to shut down his website and stop doing it. And why is that? Because under Texas law, you have to physically examine the animal before you can offer any opinion about it. 
So this housebound, phys physically disabled veterinarian was supposed to get on an airplane and fly to Nigeria before he could offer an opinion of any kind about this cat. And never mind that there are no veterinarians and the cat would be completely without medical care or, or veterinary care without Ron. And you know, Ron wasn't prescribing medication. He wasn't sending drugs. He was just offering an opinion. That's it, two people talking to each other. So what does the First Amendment have to say about that? Because after all, the First Amendment is supposed to protect the right of Americans and uh, of which Ron Hines is an American, and indeed anybody subject to American jurisdiction, generally speaking, to be able to have useful conversations about the world. Well, we brought a First Amendment lawsuit, and the trial court, the federal trial court, said, you know what, you're right. The First Amendment applies. Uh, the state of Texas tried to get it dismissed on the ground that when two people talk to each other, if that conversation is subject to occupational licensing, the conversation is by definition physical conduct. So if Ron Hines writes an email that says, you know, you should try to, you know, maybe feed your cat some shredded pork or something like that. The law treats that as though Ron Hines is taking a scalpel and cutting a hole in the animal. They say, by definition, it is conduct, even if it's just words. And so the First Amendment doesn't apply at all. It's not that the First Amendment applies and you happen to lose under whatever First Amendment balancing test there is. It's that it doesn't apply at all. So the, the federal trial court said, you know what, the First Amendment applies to this. After all, this is just two people speaking. So then the, the state of Texas asked for a special kind of appeal, and we went up to the Federal Court of Appeals. And the, in March, the Federal Court of Appeals reversed. And they said, you know what? We disagree with the trial court. Um, we are going to call that conduct. If you are speaking and you are giving someone individualized personal advice, we're going to call that conduct. So what's going on? Well, what's going on here is the collision between two venerable constitutional doctrines. One is that state governments have broad authority to license occupations. That is well established in the law. We challenge it all the time at IJ. It leads to all kinds of irrational barriers to entry. One of the reasons why medicine and other kinds of professions are expensive and hard to get into is because lobbyists aggressively create all kinds of um, occupational barriers. But anyway, set that aside. The Supreme Court has said states have broad latitude. The Supreme Court has also said that the, the protections of the First Amendment are broad. And so what happens when those two things intersect? Well, the Supreme Court had an interesting case um, several years ago that was about advice to foreign terrorists. And some American doctors and physicians were providing individualized technical advice to foreign terrorist groups about how to resolve their grievances nonviolently. One was um, the... Um, Kurdish liberation movement, and another one was the Tamil, uh, Tamil liberation movement in Sri Lanka. And so the, the, these groups were concerned about being prosecuted by the federal government for providing individualized advice, which the, which the federal government considered to be material support to terrorist groups. And so the question that went up to the Supreme Court was, is individualized advice that consists of nothing but speech, you're not sending them money or guns or bombs or anything, you're just talking to them about the law. Is that something protected by the First Amendment? And the Supreme Court said, yes, the First Amendment applies. Now, it turns out that the government has a, the federal government has a huge interest in suppressing um, advice to terrorists because it's just kind of fungible. That just frees up resources for terrorists to do other things. But the First, but the First Amendment applies. So we actually tried to take that precedent, and we said to, you know, we said to the federal court in the Fifth Circuit, we said, look, if the First Amendment at least applies to individualized technology, technical advice to murderous foreign terrorists, surely it applies to this utterly harmless disabled veterinarian in Texas who's just talking to somebody about a cat. And the court said, no, 
No. Here's another interesting case about the First Amendment uh, that's also from a few years ago, U.S. v. Stevens, which involved uh, what are called animal crush videos. And so there are people out there, um, perhaps, uh, you know, probably not anybody in this room, but there are people out there who like to exchange videos about animals getting tortured. And that provides them with sexual titillation. And so the question that the Supreme Court addressed is whether or not the First Amendment applies to a statute that restricts um, communication in the form of animal crush videos. And the Supreme Court said, you know what? This is America. This might be repugnant speech, but the First Amendment applies to repugnant speech. And so the First Amendment applies to animal crush videos. And so what does this mean for Ron Hines, the veterinarian in Texas? Well, what it means is if he decided that he wanted to talk to Kurdish terrorists about how to, like, let's say they have a herd of cattle or something like that, and they're using that herd of cattle um, to sort of support their fighters or something, he could talk to them about that. And the First Amendment would apply to that conversation if he were to be prosecuted by the federal government for providing material support to terrorists. Now, if Ron Hines also wanted to exchange animal crush videos with Scottish missionaries in rural Nigeria, the First Amendment would apply to animal crush videos. But according to the Fifth Circuit, the First Amendment doesn't apply if Ron Hines is actually just trying to help an animal. So if he wants to help terrorists or he wants to trade fetish videos, no problem. But if he just actually wants to sit down and talk to somebody to help their animal, nope, no First Amendment protection. So this is actually um, a big issue. The federal courts of appeal disagree about the extent to which the First Amendment applies. So we have a case from the early 2000s in California. It's Conant v. Walters that involved medical marijuana. And this was before the, California at that point, I think, had said that medical marijuana would be okay, that physicians could prescribe it, but it's still, as it is now, it's actually still illegal under federal law. And so doctors have a controlled substances license from the Drug Enforcement Agency to be able to prescribe drugs. And it turned out that this, there, you know, there are a group of doctors who wanted to be able to say to their patients, look, I'm not going to prescribe marijuana for you. I can't do that. But I'm going to tell you that actually in your case, I think there's a valid medical reason for using marijuana. So it was just a, it's just a conversation between a doctor and a patient. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit said, you know what? The First Amendment protects that conversation and that the Drug Enforcement Agency can't pull your controlled substances license just because you're a doctor having a conversation with a patient about medical marijuana, as long as you're not illegally prescribing it. Because the First Amendment applies even to doctor-patient communications. That should have been a good case for us. And in fact, we cited it extensively um, in the Fifth Circuit. But on the, on the other end of the um, country, in the Eleventh Circuit, there's a case that's going on right now that's sometimes called the Glocks versus Docks case, which is about guns. And some gun rights activists got a law passed in Florida that forbade physicians from asking their patients about whether they own guns, whether they keep guns loaded. You know, sometimes you go to the doctor and the doctor might say, you know, as part of a checkup, might say, you know, you're wearing your seatbelt or, you know, because accidents actually, you know, kill people. And, and accidental gun discharges or, you know, suicide by gun, those are, you know, legitimate public health issues. So anyway, uh, the gun lobby didn't like the fact that some doctors were asking people about guns and they thought it was an invasion of privacy. So they got a law passed that said doctors aren't allowed to ask people about guns. And so, of course, uh, a group of doctors brought a lawsuit and said, look, the First Amendment protects my right to have a conversation with, with a patient. And that just because we're in a um, doctor-patient relationship doesn't mean that we have completely surrendered our free speech rights and the government can tell us to say and do whatever we want. Now, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals said, nope, 
When a doctor is having a conversation with a patient, even if it is just a conversation, you're not touching them, you're not doing anything, that is conduct to which the First Amendment doesn't apply. Now, you may notice that the medical marijuana issue is kind of a liberal issue, right? And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on the, on the West Coast, kind of a liberal court. And on that liberal issue, the liberal court decided that the First Amendment applied. Now, the Eleventh Circuit's kind of a conservative court. And this was like a pro-gun thing. And wow, coincidentally, the kind of conservative court decided that the First Amendment didn't apply when it was a conservative issue. But we have a square disagreement among the federal courts of appeal, um, a disagreement that was exacerbated by the decision in the vet speech case that just came down. And so the Supreme Court actually has to step in. And the Supreme Court is going to have to decide whether or not the First Amendment applies when there is a conflict between occupational licensing and free speech. And um, so we're in the process right now of, of writing our petition to the Supreme Court in the vet speech case. And this is actually the perfect case. Because what's going on here is you have Ron Hines talking to people, generally speaking, on the other side of the world about animals. That's it. They're exchanging emails about animals. So this isn't even like, you know, the most intense telemedicine context you can imagine. This is right at the edge. And so if the First Amendment is ever going to apply to protect the free speech rights of licensed professionals and their clients, then it is going to apply in the context of Ron Hines' case. And this is the perfect, clean case for the Supreme Court to take. Now, and the other thing, too, is that there, there are some cases making their way through the, the court system right now that have to do with what's called reparative therapy, which is providing psychological counseling, generally speaking, to minors who, um, who uh, are gay or say they're gay and their parents don't like it, and so they send them usually to Christian-based psychologists. And there's a movement that says, well, the First Amendment should protect the right of therapists to engage in gay conversion therapy. Um, now, one of the great things about the Ron Hines case is that it is just about people talking about animals. It's not about gay rights. It's not about guns. It's not about medical marijuana. It's not about any of these hot-button cultural issues. It presents the case perfectly in a benign context where the Supreme Court can address the First Amendment question without worrying about making collateral statements that might have ramifications in other areas of the law. So um, fingers crossed, we're going to try to get the Supreme Court to take the case. And perhaps this time next year, we'll get a decision from the Supreme Court that will tell us whether or not and to what extent the First Amendment applies to occupational licensing. And this will have implications far beyond the practice of veterinary medicine. It will be regular medicine. It will be psychology. It will be law. It will be financial advice. All kinds of things that can be done through a distance as a result of the internet. Jeff Rose is a senior attorney at the Institute for Justice. You can watch a full event on what stands in the way of telemedicine. That's at our website, cato.org.